they want to plan, right? Mm -hmm. They want to plan. And you know what? The plan can, can be good. It could be bad, but they just need to know what is our plan. Just tell us what to do. <laughs> tell us what to do. We, we desperately want to know what to do and how we're going to do it. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Welcome back to the Inspire Podcast and welcome to 2020. When I started the Inspire Podcast, one of the uh, guilty pleasures that came with uh, hosting your own show is that you get to call up people you think are worth talking to about leadership communication and ask them to come on the show. And I've always been a fan of the NFL. My dad grew up in Philadelphia, and so I have become a Philadelphia Eagles fan by default. And for some, wow, 25 years, I've gone every year to see a game with my dad. And so I, I've enjoyed the sport, but I've also enjoyed reading about what it takes to build a winner. It's a unique environment in that each year of 32 teams, only one can win. And I've often asked, why do some coaches like Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots win so frequently while others within a year or two are cast onto the dustbin never to be hired again? And of course, it's about great talent, but all teams have great talent. So it's also about leadership. And a couple of years ago, I picked up a book called Gridiron Genius by Michael Lombardi, uh, talking about football and quickly saw it was a leadership and culture book masquerading as a football book. Mike is an American football executive. He was uh, an assistant on the coaching staff of the New England Patriots. He's been an analyst for the NFL Network. He's been an executive with the San Francisco 49ers. Cleveland Browns, my Eagles, and Oakland Raiders. And today he's built a great career as a media analyst. And so I reached out to Mike and said, look, read your book, listened to your podcast, love them both, and would love to have you on the Inspire podcast to talk about leadership in the NFL and what we can learn if we want to inspire outside of it. So hope you enjoy my conversation with Mike. A lot of lessons, uh, a lot of stories, a lot to take away about what it takes to inspire winning. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Well, Bart, it's great to be here. I appreciate you having me. It's, uh, it's always good to talk to people from the business world uh, and exchange ideas. So I'm looking forward to it. In listening to you and reading your book, and now you're involved in something called The Daily Coach we'll talk about, you really think a lot about what it takes to lead in football, but but beyond football in, in really the world of work. And that's what I wanted to have you on to talk about. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate. I, uh, my original agent for the book, The Gridiron Genius, I never really liked the title because I didn't think it really painted the picture of what the book's about. The book's not that I'm not the genius. The book is the geniuses that I worked with. Hmm. Maybe you could just open up uh, by sharing your story, your journey through the NFL to where you are today. Well, I went to college with the idea that I wanted to be in coaching. I would, during my college career, I would go to coaching clinics throughout the Northeast area 
drive my little Toyota Tercel, which was great on gas miles. <laughs> and I would try to learn about football. And then I got the biggest break of all. I got hired as an unpaid assistant at UNLV uh, for Harvey Hyde. And I lived on Burger King coupons and, uh, and really, you know, Holiday Inn buffet tickets and slept in a hallway and, you know, just learned football. And then I got the greatest, greatest job of all, which was basically becoming the great Bill Walsh's driver, for lack of a better term. I, I always refer to him as, his, you know, I was his gopher. And, and in those car rides is when my career changed and the trajectory of my career in terms of how I was going to educate myself changed dramatically because he forced me to being broader, learning about leadership, asked me about Tom Peters, Peter Drucker, Warren Bennis, those people. And that set me on a path and a, and a, and a, and a lifelong experience of learning about those people in leadership and how it applies to, the, to coaching. I mean, it's an amazing journey to go get an internship with someone who's recognized as one of the greatest coaches in the NFL of all time. And I, I know it's really the originator of the West Coast offense, but you, you don't hear a lot about that passion for leadership. Do you think, did that set him apart? The fact that he was, he thought about leadership and he thought about what it took to, you know, set a vision and lead a team. He thought about every detail, but I think what happens to, uh, to many of us is, we, we want to come up with a narrative that we never really understand, but it's an easy narrative. And so it's easy to say Walsh won because of his West Coast offense, because of the brilliance that people could visualize, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you're in a leadership position, you have to give the people that are following you something that they can visualize. Because no matter how smart you are, most people learn better from seeing something tangible. And you could see the West Coast offense. You can't see culture. Mm. You don't understand culture. You don't see it. You don't know what it is. You know it's a word. You know, you think that you think the pest control guy comes over and sprays for it once a week to make sure that we have it. <laughs> Nobody really understands it. It's not, you know, you can't cling to it. So Walsh's popularity was driven by what we saw on Sunday, which was the West Coast offense. But if you were to ask him what is true, true success story was and it was is was his ability to build culture his 17 principles of leadership the things that he felt everybody had to adhere to for the team to be successful that's the foundation and it's only proven clearly by whenever anybody has left Walsh and gone on and copied the West Coast offense without the leadership element without the principles Mm -hmm. they failed miserably because that's not what he was about Hmm. And, and I think that's a thread we'll draw as we look at some of the other coaches you worked for an organization. So after your time with Walsh, where, where'd your career go from there? Well, then I, you know, I went to uh, Cleveland Browns and I was there for four years. And, uh, and then in 1991, Art Modell decided to hire Bill Belichick. And, and then that's when I, my relationship with Bill Belichick started. And that's really where my ability to take what I've learned and try to implement it on a piece of paper and together with him try to build a program that we that I that I wanted to build by the, when I was a young kid playing stratomatic baseball. Hmm. Now, it didn't really work for Bill in the first go-round of his coaching career when he was in Cleveland. Well, it Why did not? in the sense that we can learn a lot from our, our what didn't work, right? So... Mm-hmm. We won a playoff game in 1994. It took us three years to build a team. Mm -hmm. We were really good in 94, really good. 
And the owner really didn't understand what Bill was trying to do. I don't think he truly got a grasp of it. So when we moved to, when he moved the team to Baltimore and everything fell apart, then he obviously decided to not take me or Bill with him. But he never really understood what he had with Belichick. In fact, one of the things I write about in the book, I was asked to do a project for the, the St. Louis Rams at the time, before they moved back to Los Angeles, uh, about how to, how to hire a great coach. What, mm-hmm. what do you look for? What leadership traits are there? And, and Walsh and Belichick are great in the four areas that I uncover, and yet Modell never really could understand that. He, hmm. he was more about how do I make the fans happy. He believed he sold hope. He didn't believe he, he was building a culture, and those are two dramatically different things. When Belichick went to New England, I think he got with an owner that was willing to build culture, not sell hope. You know, from the outside as a fan, you look at it and you say the coach is the one responsible but what I'm hearing from you and what I get from your book is it's not just the coach. You need that other layer. You need the owner who understands what building culture is, who understands what leadership is and commits to it. Is that accurate? I mean, no matter mm-hmm. what company you run, you know, you have about you have about five things you need from the chairman of the board, from the owner of the company. And it really comes down to five things. He's got to use common sense in making decisions. He's got to create stability. He's got to believe in people, right? And, and then mm-hmm. he's got to preserve the pride of the building, no matter what you're in, no matter what industry you're in. It doesn't, whether it's the Detroit Lions, the Montreal Canadiens, the Toronto Maple Leafs, or just some mom and pop shop that's been going for 40 years. There's a, there's a sense of history that's there. Then the person that's running everything has to care enough that it hurts when something doesn't go well. When, when you get that from a, from a board, where you get that from a leader or an owner of a team, you're going to be able to develop a culture. And if you don't get those five things, it's probably going to be a problem. You can win once, you can lose once, but the, the reality of it is, is it's going to be problematic. And what's really, what strikes me hearing you talk about that, I mean, you can fire a coach, but if you look at football, you can't really fire an owner. So if you're in a city and you've got a team, you better hope that your owner gets these things. Because if not, I guess if you're in a Washington Redskin, for example, you're going to be screwed for a long time. For a real long time, you know, and, and they don't understand it. They think if I just get a better quarterback or if I get a better coach, you know, instead of looking inward, the New York Jets, if I just get a better coordinator or this or that, you know, and they waste all this money, dollars on the wrong things. And you say, look, if you do these five things, I promise you, you will win. I promise you. But it's very difficult for them because they're hearing, when I say create stability, part of that is not listening to people that don't know. Mm. You know? And then when I say believe in your people, not letting outside people criticize your people. Right. Because in this industry of sports and the entertainment, people are always attacking your people. They're always attacking mm. you. You know, oh, you guys don't do it the right way. You know, but when you when the owner believes in a philosophy and sees it, he'll be rewarded if he just allows time hmm. to help him. Where did you go from there after you'd done that work for the, the Rams? Well, you know, when I was driving Coach Walsh around in the car, he told me the most football he ever learned in his life was working for Al Davis. So at that point, when he told me that, I thought I had to go work for Al Davis. Hmm. And I studied Al a lot. And so I went off and I left. When I left the Browns in, in 96, it was full intention of going out to work for the Raiders. That experience was tremendous for me because I learned an awful lot of football and uh, he helped expand my growth as a person. So where'd you end up after that? 
went did TV for five years, enjoyed it, learned to write. And then I went back to the Browns in 2013 as the general manager, lasted a year there, traded for Trent Richardson for a first round pick, got fired. All time great trade. <laughs> the owner, well, that's the NFL. But it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because then I got to spend three more years at Belichick and win two more Super Bowls. Hmm. And so you, you got to see Belichick in his prime. Well, I mean, his prime has been going for a long time. He's uh... no, The Belichick that I saw in 2014 when I walked in that building and the Belichick mm-hmm. that I left in the building in 1996 was exactly the same Belichick. Hmm. Just the situation with the owner was better. Is that? The, the culture could get established. Correct. Hmm. So let, let's delve into Belichick a bit. I mean, it is amazing. His ability to create sustained success. Uh, year after year after year and build the organization. And especially when you see his coaches leave and they don't have the success and the players change and he has the success. And yet, you know, from my, in my business, I'm in the leadership communication business. And a lot of what I, I hear about how Belichick communicates is it's very corrective, very negative. You know, I was reading a piece recently where one, you know, Stefan Gilmore said, they never tell you, you do a good job. They just rip you apart every day. And so this kind of gives me some cognitive dissonance. How does this style, which in the business world you would say would not be a success or would not be desirable, be, can, can be so effective for him? I, I don't tend to, I, don't, I, I think, look, if you're waiting for a pat on the back for winning, it's going to be a long pat. It's going to be a long wait. <laughs> a long wait. <laughs> They're chasing something bigger than a win. <laughs> I don't think it's, just, uh, you know, yell at the players, yell at the players, yell at the players. It's a teaching yes. environment. It's a corrective mm-hmm. environment. And it's, it is about when you do good, there's not a lot of pats on the back. There's more of, hey, we can do better. We can keep getting better. Mm-hmm. Vince Lombardi has a great line. He says, the greatest reward for doing is the opportunity to do more. He's always looking to do more. And when things fall apart, he takes as much of the blame as the players it's a challenging environment. It's a little like the Navy SEALs. Hmm. You've got to be able to handle the volume of work. You're not going to get a day off in terms of just let's relax and talk about how great we're all doing. Right. Let's kumbaya. If that's what you want, that, that's not the place to go. Right. You know, right. If you love football and love winning, then you're going to like it there. And you have to get, win your battles. I mean, every week there's a player who's the Patriot of the Week. They give out awards for players that are doing well. They thank, you know, thanks the players. But it isn't like every single day, this is it. Never raises his voice, all Bart. Never Interesting. Raises his voice. He's not criticizing. He's coaching in a very descriptive manner. Here's what we did. Here's why we can't do that. And here's what we need to do. So he's really able to articulate exactly what needs to happen and build the team towards a goal. Right. That's correct. What would you say his greatest strengths, I mean, that's obviously a strength as a communicator, but are there other unique strengths that you've observed in him and how he communicates to the organization? He's very direct. He doesn't mind confrontation in the sense he's not going to yell at people, but he has no problem telling people the truth. In fact, he wants to be able to tell you the truth. It's important Mm for him. Nine times out of 10, you never want to be the bad guy. Mm. And because you never want to be the bad guy, how do you ever lead? How do you ever lead? Right. Because you avoid the conversations. If you avoid the, how do you ever lead? You, you can't. So for me, I mean, I think he's direct. He's honest. He's very, he's very focused on what's at hand. And he's able to express the reason how we have to win this game. And then when the players do well, 
I mean, I, I, I think this is probably the, be- the best part of what he did. When the players do well, he never stands in front of them and takes mm. the credit. He always stands behind and let them bask in the sunshine. That's why he and Nick Saban are completely different. I mean, Nick Saban's doing Aflac commercials, right? Right. Yeah, I've never seen Belichick in a commercial. You'll never see Belichick do a commercial. Hmm. How about Brady? I mean, there's someone who does commercials. Tell me about his leadership style and how he communicates. Tom is, is old enough to be most of these kids' father. Hmm. You know? And so it's, it's a challenge for him to have a personal connection. A football connections are easy. Personal connections, he has to work harder at, and he wants to. But he's also he also allows Belichick to be critical of him, hmm. which then allows Belichick to be critical of all. Because if he can if he can take the criticism and embrace it and work on getting better, then there's no excuse for anyone else on the team not to. Exactly, and that's a huge that's a huge caveat to have. Huge hmm. one. So he's so the two of them combined. It's almost this triumvirate of Kraft, Belichick. Brady, they collectively established that this is what we're working towards. This is how we're going to do it. And everyone will come along with us. And it's not a real long sheet. You know, Kraft allows him to install the culture. Like Kraft's not trying to make him something he's not in terms of PR. You know, I think like any good owner, he asked Bill to explain to him what he's doing so he can make sure there is common sense in, in the place. I mean, you know, it's funny. Common sense is, is two words we've put together in, in the English language mm. that we all think we know what it means, but yet no one's ever really taught us what it means. Okay, so define it. This is your chance. What does it mean? You know, we, we throw, don't you know, and I mean, I've told my kids this, don't you have common sense? Don't you understand, <laughs> you know, what you, I think people that have great common sense understand failure better than most, okay. right? They, they know when something's not working. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just take MVP Mitchell Trubisky at the Bears. Right. I I was happy they started him this uh, past weekend so the Eagles could dominate. (laughs) Right. It's really it's it's common sense to bench him. But the person that that's running the team doesn't understand failure better than most. Hmm. So that's one, because he won't admit that he made the mistake Two, people with common sense are loyal. They keep their promises and they never under deliver. They also use the word no. Their common sense requires boundaries and maintaining a moral compass for themselves. Hmm. They are mentally tough. Common sense requires mental toughness, right? And then Mm -hmm. they understand the danger of what they're doing, the pitfalls and the potential pitfalls, and they can see what lies one step around the corner. That's really critical. Hmm. What lies one step around the corner? Now, Steve Jobs could see six steps around the corner. Mm -hmm. That's my definition of common sense. And I'm not uh, Thomas Paine. I'm not trying to write the next book, but I think it, I found it really mm-hmm. interesting that we toss common sense around like it really matters, but nobody's ever defined it. No, I, th- I think that's accurate. You know, I wrote, I wrote a book on the language of leadership and I talk about jargon and why it exists. And one of the things I say is a lot of terminology is just a proxy for a lack of clear thinking. Right. And I, and, I, and I feel that way about mission statements. Like mission statements aren't going to do the company any good. Mm-hmm. Right? Mission statements are nice for people that enter the building and they give the, the, they give the company a tagline. Right. Right. But a living and breathing document of what we have to do every single day can't be summarized in just a, a, a two sentence mission statement. You know, like when you walk into the Patriots, they, mm-hmm. really, they don't have a mission statement. They have four things that they believe in. They, and what are they? 
the first thing is do your job. Mm-hmm. Now that's that that is pretty wide open, right? Mm-hmm. But they define what your job is. Mm-hmm. The second thing is speak for yourself. Like just basically worry about yourself. Don't mm-hmm. ask if somebody says what's Lombardi think or what do you think of the screens or so just think speak for yourself. You'll be fine. You know mm-hmm. the 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 third thing is be attentive. And the fourth thing is put the team first. And really that could be mental toughness, right? So mm-hmm. they define mental toughness in New England as doing what's right for the team mm-hmm. when it might not be right for you. But when you that they don't have a mission, their mission statement isn't we're gonna win a Super Bowl. They're mm-hmm. gonna enact those four principles every single day. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, you know, as you look beyond, you know, most people listen to my podcast, don't own an NFL team or run an NFL team, but they, you know, they run you know, large organizations or they aspire to, or they want to influence, what broad conclusions would you draw from your work that people should take away in terms of how they can be a more inspirational leader? I think, you know, and I wrote this for the Daily Coach, but I think it really comes down to about eight qualities that people want from their leader, right? It's they want, they want to plan, right? They mm-hmm. want to plan. And you know what? The plan can can be good. It could be bad. But they just need to know what is our plan. Just tell us what to do. <laughs> T- tell us what to do. We, we desperately want to know what to do and how we're going to do it, what we're, how we're going to get there and, and, and all that. And I think once we do that, you know, then, then we can actually get somewhere. And even if we make mistakes, we'll be able to mm-hmm. correct them as we go along and we'll be able to work our way through them. And then I think that then all of a sudden we're, we're really doing really well. Mm-hmm. And then the number two thing is, is speak the truth, right? Mm. You can't lead if you don't speak the truth. And then and have that courage to tell it like it is. You got to be able to tell it like it is. It, it, it's essential to that. And then you've got to push people that, that ultimately want to slow themselves down because people, David Coggins wrote this book and he said that half the time we're only using 40% of our capability. Right. You know, so you have to push people. And then you sometimes you've got to slow people down to make them think. Hmm. Sometimes we have to spend some time. Let's just give this some thought. Mm-hmm. And you always have to restore faith in the plan. That's important. Hmm. You always have to inspire and be an inspiration. There's two different things. Hmm. You, and, and each person has to know whether they're, what their inspirations are and what inspires them. Right. Right, and and I then like when we have success, stand behind the people. Hmm. And when we have failure, stand in front. Take the bullets. I'm going to put this list up on my wall. I, I think it's a great list. You know, and this idea that you, you need to provide clarity to people about the plan, about how you're executing, and then guide people from a pace standpoint and do that every single day in how you communicate. I think that's great advice for leaders. Because when, when, when you're not, when someone is taking the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. Which people do. Which we all do. Mm-hmm. And we, I've, I've done it a zillion times. Mm-hmm. I've cut that corner. You know, I tell the story all the time about how uh, I Love Lucy, a sitcom in the 50s about Lucille Ball and her husband, Ricky. Mm-hmm. He's a band leader. Some people listening to this podcast may have never seen the show. But I talk about this all the time in my presentations that I give to companies. Is and Lucille Ball's in her bedroom, 
and she's on the floor. She lost her wedding ring, and it's on the floor in the bedroom. It slipped off her finger, and she jumps down on the floor and looks for it. And then we see about two scenes later, later in the episode, we see Ricky walk in the front door, and he sees Lucy on the living room floor crawling around. Hmm. And he says, what are you doing? She says, well, I lost my wedding ring. And he said, oh, really? Yeah, that's a shame. Can I help? She said, where did you lose it? In the room. She said, oh, no, no, I didn't lose it in the living room. I lost it in the, in the bedroom. Obviously stunned. Ricky says, well, you lost it in the bedroom. Why are you looking in the living room? Right. She said, because the light's much better here. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Of course, but we laugh at that, at that joke. But how many often do we focus on things that don't matter and look in the wrong places? Right. How often do you correct an intern and get pissed off at an intern and tell an intern exactly what to do, but can't tell somebody of higher stature because you're afraid you're going to anger them? Hmm. You and can't I do think coach, you're right. We avoid you can't, coach, you can't coach the bad players harder than you coach the good players. Right. And I think the, the Brady example, the best player on the team, embraces the hard coaching. Right. And, you know, probably another takeaway then for leaders is if your tops, if your star player isn't going to embrace that coaching, they're probably not the player you want as your star player. That's right. And that, and that goes back to being in the Navy SEALs. If you don't want to do it, then you're probably, we're probably not going to be good to have you. Yeah. Time to go. <laughs> well, Mike, this is phenomenal. Uh, you know, I think anyone listening can get a sense that you're super passionate about leadership. And the great news is if you are listening, there's ample ways to get more Mike Lombardi. Maybe you could just outline a few of the ways that your wisdom is available to the public and where people can go to get it. Well, I mean, I write, uh, sign up for The Daily Coach. If you just uh, go to The Daily Coach, it's a website. It's thedailycoach.substack.com. Uh, all the articles are up there. That comes in. Your, if you sign up for that, that comes into your email box every single day, every morning. I get so it myself. Days, I look forward to it. Yeah, six days a week it comes in. We think it. it we think it can help. Us. I do a podcast called the GM Shuffle that comes out Monday morning and Thursday afternoons. We talk a lot about NFL, but we also talk about leadership and the impact of that. Mm -hmm. And then you know, I write for the Athletic, which is a, a subscription-based online newspaper, and I do a decent show, Vegas Stats and Information, every weekend called the Lombardi Line from mm -hmm. nine to twelve. If you have Sirius Satellite Radio, it's on channel two hundred four. And can I also infer from what you said earlier that companies who want to bring you in as a speaker, that that's something you do as well. Yeah, I do. I, I love doing that. I, I think I, it really makes me, I mean, it's something I wish I did more of because I think the similarities between business and culture, uh, the business culture and the NFL culture is something people really need. And mm -hmm. I think it, it, you can explain it. The thing I think we all have to, uh, this is really important. We all lack competitive stamina. Hmm. And by that, I mean, is that we never want to talk about dynasties. No one falls in love with the Patriots winning. No right. one falls in love with the Yankees dominating baseball right. or the Astros or whatever. What we fall in love with is the Washington Nationals who go 19 and 31 and, and turn it around and win. Because mm -hmm. we're looking for that one little thing they did that we could steal, that we could have success. And I think if you, if you really study the great teams – you'll realize that no one can really – to duplicate the 19 and 31 is like winning the lottery, hmm. right? But to build a championship is, is much easier. 
And I hope my presentation allows people to see that. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you've laid out is you look at the culture and leadership that the Patriots show. They don't win the Super Bowl every year, but they dramatically increase their chances of doing it. And I think there's great lessons there. Even if you're not competing for a Super Bowl, if you're you're passionate about what you do, if you want to win, there's a lot to draw on there, whatever industry you're in. No doubt. And, and I think that that's really what I try to talk about. Well, and on a personal note, I've been inspired by what you've shared and uh, it's made a real impact on me. So before we wrap this one final football question, we're recording this in November, my Philadelphia Eagles are five and four. This is your chance. When we release this podcast, probably in January, will they, where will they be? I think the Eagles will make the playoffs. I think they'll compete in the divisional round. And I think they'll lose the divisional round playoff game. Well, I can. I hope that they make it and maybe even run the table by that. I think that sounds like a pretty realistic bet to take. So, Mike, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with me. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike. And I have to point out, he nailed it. The Philadelphia Eagles did make it to the playoffs, though sadly they were eliminated. But there's always next year. And I'll be watching uh, the NFL next year with a renewed interest uh, as to how coaches build or don't build winners. Mike certainly left me with some real clarity about what it takes to be an inspiring coach. Uh, And I think a lot of takeaways that we can apply uh, to the world of work off the gridiron. Next episode of the Inspire Podcast leaves football behind and turns to advertising. My guest will be Tom Shapansky. Tom is one of the three co-founders of Rethink, which is a globally recognized Canadian ad agency. Uh, it's more than an ad agency. It's, a, it's really a creative agency. And Tom comes on. He's got a new book with his two co-founders to talk about how in a business where agencies come and go, they built one to last and did it together. So tune in next time.